Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this beautiful Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. It's a good day to be at church, amen? Amen. Can't we be thankful today and maybe we should be mindful today of those lepers who were outside the gates of Samaria while there was a siege going on. You remember those guys? They were there and they were in that moment and they realized like if if we try to go in the city, they'll just kill us or they'll put us out or... If we go to the enemy, they'll probably kill us. So why should we sit here until we die? And if you remember, they went out and the camp of the Assyrians had been discomfited by God and they went off and and they were gone and all their food was there and all their wealth was there. Everything was there and they just started eating. And could you imagine what this would have been like? You're like starved to death and there's, you know, you're at an unlimited buffet in five minutes, you know. And one of them said to the other, they said, you know, what we do here is not good. Got a whole city full of hungry people. We need to go back. I want to be mindful today that we have found the endless buffet. We're the lepers. And we have found it. And it's not good if we keep it to ourselves. We need to go out. And we need to tell people about it. Amen? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 67. And I'll read it for you today. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. That thy way may be known upon the earth. Thy saving health among all the nations. Let the people praise thee. O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Let the people praise thee, O God, and let all the people praise thee. And then shall the earth yield her increase. And God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today called by you to come as your sons and your servants to come into this place. Lord, we have no idea really why we've been invited because we know we don't deserve to come but we have been told in your word that it's because you love us and your mercies are new for us every day we come today longing to hear your voice we come today hungering and thirsting after things that we know only you can fill us with and we pray that you will that you will change us and make us more like you today in christ's name we pray and all god's people said Amen. Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy 
like to welcome to our pulpit a man of God, a man who is my friend and who I trust that will bring you the word of God today. Can you welcome Brother Kevin Swanson? Please be seated, brothers and sisters. I'm so excited to be here this morning for a number of reasons. One is the, the influence of the Reformed faith in Ohio. It's encouraging to know that finally there is a village in America, in Ohio, named the Five Points. So that's, that's been encouraging to, to me that the Reformed faith is finally getting some roots in this nation. So I'm also very, very thankful to be here at the church because, because Mark has told us many times that the most beautiful representation of the kingdom of God on earth is right here in this building. Amen. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Y'all are redeemed. Amen. This is, this is the most beautiful thing on planet earth. Amen. Where else are you going to find it? It's going to be right here. So, so I'm so thankful as I see your faces, I know that you have been redeemed by the most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and uh, so, so you have great value to Jesus and to us. And we're so thankful. Now, we, there's another beautiful place on earth as well. It's in Elizabeth, Colorado. That's where I'm from. So if you are ever in that neck of the woods, you come see us, okay? So y you can come to our house and stay the night. So I invite the whole church to our house. Now, don't come all at once, but, you know, and email first. My wife likes you to email first. She's, she's told me that. So I was, I, was, I was splitting wood one Saturday night, and I got a call. From somebody said, we're going to be there in two hours, and I had no idea who they were. So I, I ran into my wife, said, somebody's coming. She said, oh, yeah, we invited somebody two months ago, and they're supposed to be here tonight. So it was good they gave us the two-hour warning. <laughs> But uh, anyway, we're thankful for you, for you all, and we're thankful to be part of the CPC ourselves, the Covenant Presbyterian Church. Um, what a blessing to, to be with our brothers and sisters and have that national fellowship. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, I'd like you all to stand as we read Psalm 96. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Amen. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Yes. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Say among the heathen, the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously let the nation, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. 
Then let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Amen. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. My brothers and sisters, the greatest heartbreak of, of my life, the, the greatest anguish that I experience in my life is my lack of ability to praise God. It's, 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 it's that, that lack of focus in worship, that the wandering of the mind, the, the, the inability to sense the glory of God. If there's anything that bothers me about myself more than anything else is that I just, I just don't have that appreciation for God. I don't have that love for God. I'm, my heart isn't on fire as I wish it was. Especially when it comes to the worship. There's something about worship that becomes too rote. It doesn't matter if it's extemporaneous or whether we have an established liturgy that goes on for three months at a time or you shift it to this or that. It doesn't matter. We tend to get into a rote. We tend not to, to sense the glory of God and the gloriousness of what God has done and what He's done with us. We lose it. There's, if there's something I think needs to happen in my life is I have to see the, the gloriousness of God. I'm, I'm too asleep. I'm too insensitive. Our praise is too insipid. Our wonder is too shallow. It is as if I am an ant running across the Mona Lisa. Oblivious to the genius of we are ants, brothers, sisters, running across a wondrous creation around us, and we miss it. That's right. We, we perhaps have seen the Mona Lisa too many times. I don't know what it is, but somehow we lose it. We lose the wonder of it. The two-year-old that sees this beautiful work of art and just doesn't get it. That's us, far, far too often. The teen who has seen too many horror movies. And when the judgment of God falls on the nations. Boring, boring. Somebody get me more popcorn. And doesn't realize the horrific and real nature of the judgment of God until it's too late. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, that's not us. It's just that we are not sensitive enough. We, our, our minds aren't sharpened enough. Our eyes aren't opened enough to realize the glories of God. Somebody once said, it's just too much self-orientation. Man's too consumed with himself. 
man is too big and God is too small. And when he said that, I, he said, he nailed it. He got it. That's, that's the issue. That's the problem with me. I, I'm too big. My concerns, my needs, my interests, my pleasures are, are too big. God, too small. Just We, we don't see it. This psalm is what I call the defibrillator psalm. You know what a defibrillator is, right? The thing that kind of wakes you up. It wakes up God's people to, to who we are and what we are here to do. It's a wake-up call to God's reality. Let's start with verse 1. Take a look at verse 1 this morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. That's a command. But that's also a passionate call. Oh, oh sing unto the Lord. Oh, I plead with you. It's, it's time to sing. It's time to get up and sing. We have something to sing about. And not to be entertained by all of this singing necessarily. Oh, we have lots of aids. We, 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 we have all of the top 40 Christian songs and all the rest to, 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 to entertain us. But you know, the Christian sings. How do you know a Christian as you're driving to work in the morning? Sometimes he's got a hand on the steering wheel and sometimes he doesn't. You look into the window of this car, what do you see? He's not passively listening the radio. He's singing along with it. Christians sing. We sing along. We have something to sing about. Remember the first song in the Bible? Why did they sing? Who invented singing? Where's the first psalm or the first song in the Bible? After the release of God's people from Egypt and the glorious deliverance on that 20 mile wide screen where the most spectacular miracle and deliverance of any people in the history of the world. We, we described this over the weekend, but you know, this, this deliverance from Egypt is spectacular. Egypt is at the height of its power. Tutmos has overcome all the way up into Syria and all the way down into Libya or all the way down into Ethiopia. They've got the biggest empire ever and now they've, they're at the point at which they are the strongest empire ever. Much like Rome was when Jesus came. And, and, and China as well, at the height of its power. At zero AD. Why? Why did these empires grow to this magnificent degree? Well, God's cranking it up because He's about ready to bring it down. That's why. And it's going to be spectacular when He does it. Amen. And He's... he's, he, he's He's going to bring the, the maddest army in the history of the world down. They just lost their firstborn. And, and so here is this Pharaoh who's got the hardest heart in the history of hard hearts. Yeah. And an angry army against an unarmed people of God against the Red Sea. And then the deliverance. This is incredible. This is amazing. This is something to sing about, brothers and sisters. Yeah. Why do we sing? 
because we're on the other side of the Red Sea. And we see the dead, bloated bodies of the devil himself coming up on the shore of the Red Sea and we know that He's got the victory for us. Amen. That's the first song yeah. in redemptive history. Right, right there. On the deliverance of God's people. Sing a new song to the Lord. A new song. Why a new song? Why, do, why, why are we not content with all the old songs? Let me ask you this. How many love songs have been written? You ever wonder that? In all the history of love songs, people have written these beautiful songs about how much they love each other. The way of a man with a maid, isn't that beautiful? Is the way of a man with a maid beautiful? And and then we, we, we how many love songs could you possibly write, do you think? I mean, just give it a guess. How many? 28? No, try 28 million love songs. They're just going to be written all the way to the end of time. Because... This is the beauty of it. This is the glory of it. And how many songs we write on the love of God and the powerful grace of God that brings about this deliverance for His people. How many songs could be written about this? I I often, as I preach the Word, I wonder, you know, do you ever get done with the sermons? Is, Is there ever like an end to the examples, the illustrations, and the adjectives the descriptions of what God has done at Calvary. Can we ever get to the end of all of the poetry and the sermons and the language we could bring to bear on this story? No, no, no. Sing a new song to the Lord. A new song. Write the new songs. We need to be writing more songs. There needs to be way more inspiration. In fact, the greatest hymns are always written during times of revival where people wake up. And, and realize this is beautiful. This is amazing. There aren't nearly enough songs written. By the way, just for what it's worth, there aren't nearly enough of the poetic songs and hymns we sing drawn from the passages in Isaiah and the prophets that, that bring these spectacular descriptions of what the Messiah is going to do. You know, and turning the deserts into rivers. We don't... There's a couple of hymns, but... We need another 178 of them for our hymnals. That's just an aside. We're not, we're not hearing enough. We're not, we don't have enough of the new songs to sing. The diamond has 100,000 facets to it. Just turn it around a little bit. Shift it around. So we've got another facet of this. There's more to explore in this great story of God's redemption. We sing... Oh, come my soul, bless thou the Lord thy maker. We said that this morning, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. We bless God. We sing to God. We're we're overwhelmed by the love of God. We're the minstrels that are singing the songs to God. Our praise must be more and more concomitant to the praiseworthiness of God. Let me ask you this. I like to ask my congregation, is God worthy? Yes, he is. is He worthy? Yes. How worthy is He? And you see, in your mind, you, you, you don't quite fathom the worthiness of God for the worship. Amen? We don't get it. It's not sinking in enough. 
we, we get excited if somebody kicks a 67-yard field goal. A guy kicks a ball, <laughs> and 80,000 people are going crazy. You know, I mean, that's, that is wonderful. But we're a little bit like the kid where, you know, some, some guy kicks a 98-yard field goal to win the Super Bowl, and you got this teenage kid going, yeah, that's nothing, but look at me. I can stand on one leg for like two seconds. <laughs> back down a little bit, wouldn't you say? That's not impressive. You're not impressive. You're not cool. You're not. Nothing awesome there. God is awesome. Amen? God is awesome. It's time for us to stop being these self-infatuated humans so, so amazed at ourselves. It's time to be amazed by God. Amen. And who God is and what God has done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A million hallelujahs. Our blessing for God is as rich and full as His blessings. As far as that is possible. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Let's go to the mandate. The mandate appears in the second part of that verse. First verse, see that sing to the Lord, all the earth, that's insistent, that's a passionate call, that all the earth sing to the Lord. Look at verse 7 as well. Give to the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give to the Lord glory and strength. Now that's the mandate. That's what we want. All the families of the earth praising God. You know, I just saw this recently. Genesis 11 is all about Babel. This is the nations making a point. These are the nations saying, wow, we're something. Look at us. I can stand on my leg for two seconds. Whoo, wow. You know, man. Man's impressive. Big wow. And God brings him down. The Tower of Babel comes down. Man attempts to establish himself, make a name for himself, make a city for himself, a tower for himself. God brings it down. But right away, look at Genesis 12. What does he say? Genesis 12. This is the word to Abraham. Right after the nations attempt their vision, their mission, their thing, God brings it all down. Then right away, follows it up. Chapter 12, verse, verses 1 through 3, says to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your father, from your family. To a land that I will show you, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And listen to this. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. That's it. That's the vision. That's God's vision. The vision of the nations and the great empires. Yes, we know that what it is what, is what it is. We know the attempt. But God is saying in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth to be blessed. That's God's vision versus man's vision. This is the great vision of life on earth. This is the vision of millennia that, that all of the families of the earth would be blessed in the seed of Abraham, and that is Jesus. And throughout the Old Testament, 
again and again, what do we see? But God is blessing Rahab, the Canaanite. God is blessing Ruth, the Moabitish. Elijah, he doesn't do many miracles during the great famine, but uh, one widow in Sidon, one Gentile widow. Elisha, one leper, healed from Syria, a Gentile. So again and again, uh, throughout the Old Testament, there's this vision that it's going to be all the nations of the earth. This is the vision that God has. And I love Isaiah 49. We just read that, didn't we? Isaiah 49, after Israel has blown it for a thousand years, you know, I mean, a thousand years of just degraded failure uh, for the people of God throughout all of that time. Just endemic apostasy again and again. Nothing but failure for the people of God. And, and then the prophets break out again in these great proclamations. They say, oh, something big's going to happen. Yeah, but just wait. You know, just wait. It's all coming together. You know, and, and, and you can imagine people going, yeah, but there's this exile and there's like four people that still believe in Jehovah. You know, you know people are thinking that, don't you? When Isaiah is breaking out in 49 throughout the servant passages of uh, what's going to happen with the coming of the Messiah. So this great prophecy, and then Isaiah 49 says, says indeed, it's, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Judah and to restore the preserved one of, of Israel, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Yeah. It's too small a thing. Four faithful people in Israel. Too small, too small, too small. Oh, oh then, Lord, a revival amongst Israel. Would that, would that be about right, you know, Israel? We're going to go from the 0.01% of the land mass of the world. No, no, no. Too small. Too small a thing. Too small a thing for our God. And the redemption that He brings to the earth. That's the picture here. So, the project is really that the whole world will join in with the song. And all history is, is focused at this. It's all for the song, guys. It's all, it's, it's all to, 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 to increase the size. Five, not enough. Only five, not enough. We, we need a hundred here. No, no, we need a thousand. No, we need tens of thousands from every tribe and nation. See, that's, that's what God is going for. It's all about singing with Moses and dancing with Miriam on the other side of the Red Sea into eternity. This is what it's about, brothers and sisters. Amen. Yes, we dance. Yes, we sing. But it's about a longer dance. It's longer. It's a longer hymn. And then the end game, as we just read from Revelation 7, 9, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the end game. That's where we're going. That's the great consummation of it all. And all these long faces about what's happened in the kingdom of God since 1840. Since somebody came up with these hair-brained eschatological explanations to get most of American Christianity into depression to only add the apostasy of the Western world. Okay, while all of this depressing eschatology is coming out to aid the apostasy of the Western world, you know, in 1800, 80% of the world's Christians were in America and Europe. 20% everywhere else. Now it's the other way around. Praise God. Praise God. The agenda is happening. Jesus is accomplishing the task and the vision that's been established from the beginning. It's happening and more has happened in the last 200 years and the 800 years before that. It's happening, brothers and sisters. Wake up and realize that all the nations are, are, are practicing for the, the inquire. It's happening. It's happening. Let's move on to the message. Verse 2. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day. So we talked about the mandate, the, the burden. Now the message. The message is to show forth your salvation from day to day. Now this, this show forth your salvation business is a single word, but it does, it's bizarre in the Hebrew, but it doesn't really capture the idea. Basar. Basar is a word that basically says, shout the good news. That's what it is. Shout the good news. This, this is what happens when a seven-year-old kid has been asking for a bike for three years, every Christmas and birthday. And all of his friends and all of his siblings have bikes. He does. And on Christmas Day, on his seventh year, he gets his bike. What, what happens? I'm trying to bring this down to the rest of us. Okay? What does he do? He besorrows. He's besorrowing all day. Amen? Amen. He's besorrowing. He's got a new bike. He's been asking it for three years. He's got his bike. He's besawing. It's a big day. It's a really big day for the little boy. So, brothers and sisters, let's besaw the good news. The good news must be shouted. It has to be shouted. That's why, you know what? I don't even want to go to a church. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to go to a church where a guy preaches like this. 
Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. I'm not attending that church. Why? Here's why. Because he doesn't believe it. It's time to get rid of this kind of Christian faith that, that doesn't believe it. I mean, the kid's got a new bike. It really happened. He got the gift. He's excited. He believes in the gift. He believes in the giver. He's received it. He's excited. You don't have to give him a liturgy either. Hey, kid, read this and demonstrate your excitement for the family. Come on. Come on. That's ridiculous. The, the, the message, the good news requires a certain method, a certain, a certain faith. Is there faith? I was thinking this earlier is as we teach and as we preach, wherever we go, it's, it's, a, it's a test of faith. It always is. You evangelize, test of faith. You believe it. Same thing for me and for Brother Mark when he gets up in front of everybody. He's, you know, is he, is he believing this stuff? Do you believe this stuff? The method must be concomitant to the message. Let me ask you for just for a minute. What would be the best news that you could think of? The very best news in the universe. The problem of cancer fixed. Would that be exciting? Would you want to share that? That's, that's good news. How about this? Life expectancy moved to 110 years. Average. That's pretty amazing. Everybody gets to be a millionaire and buried in a $250,000 coffin. That's, that's really news. That's news. You want me to tell you some good news? The problem of death fixed. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. We live eternally, forever and ever in perfect bliss. Amazing. Put that on a 180-point font in the front of the newspaper and keep it there for the next 2,000 years. See, and here's the problem. The problem is that the people of Israel are delivered from Egypt, right? The most spectacular miracle in the history of mankind. Maybe it's the front of the newspaper, Egyptian Times, or the Israelite News, for like a week. But then, like two weeks later, they're like, where's the food? Where's the water? We want to go back to Egypt. More onions there. Again, we tend to forget. We forget. We don't keep it on the front page. It's not constantly before us. That's why Psalm 78 says this is the problem with apostasy. This is why America is going through this massive apostasy. And the church attendance rate in London is, what, 2% now. Why? Because, because some father forgot to get excited. 
Some father didn't tell the news. Some father didn't bring this out. Hey, kids, I've got some good news this morning. What is it, Dad? Jesus killed sin for us. He smushed the devil, and death is a goner. Now let's have some breakfast. That's good news, isn't it? Now, for most little boys, like breakfast, yeah. But the other part of it is, is like bake. So let's keep the big news and the good news in front of us, brothers and sisters. Let me ask you, how good is this message? If we're going to show forth and bizarre and shout the news of God's salvation from day to day, this is, if, this is the, if this is the message that we're singing and we're bringing to the nations, then I, I want you to think about exactly how big and how glorious and how wonderful the, the message is. If you look at the mountains, the vast oceans, the universe, the sheer quantities of teeming life in the world. Let me ask you this for just a moment. How big is God? Roughly. Have you been on a mountain? Have you seen the oceans? Have you ever seen the stars? Have you ever... Hey, ungodly astronauts and ungodly astronomers, they know how big this universe is. Well, no, they don't. They just know it's a billion quadrillion times larger than they thought it was 100 years ago. That's all. And giving God way less glory for it. That's the sickening part of our world. And that's why, friends, we've got to be delivered from this blindness, this lack of wonder, this stupid little seven-year-old standing on one foot going, yeah, but look at what I can do. We've got to be delivered. Amen. Don't, don't you want to be delivered from that myopic? and stupid way of looking at yourself and the world. Amen. How many of you are sick of that? I, I'm sick of it. Yeah. I'm tired of it. I don't want any of that. I, I, I want to see God in His glory. I want to see Him in His power and His might. Let me ask you this. Given that God is so powerful, is God's goodness as big as His power? Yes, it is. Is... Is His goodness as big as the universe? We, we need a gospel message that is as big as God. I just want to make this really simple for you, kids. It's, it's really good news. Yeah, I know you got a bike for your birthday. I know that. Or whatever it was. You had a remote control plane. I always wanted one of those. Or little go-karts. You know, that would have been like heaven for my, me at 12 years of age. Never got a go-kart. One of these days I'm going to get myself a go-kart. <laughs> but kids, I'm here to tell you, God's good news is bigger than a go-kart. It's just, God is so good. God is way good. Look around you all over the place. Go find one blade of grass. Is God good? He feeds the animals, he feeds the birds, he feeds the goats and the sheep and the, the oxen with a blade of grass. That's goodness. One blade of grass is goodness. He made more than one blade. Look outside. How many? Out there. How many? Roughly. Give me, a, give me an estimate. How, how many goodnesses of God out there? How many, guys? Trillions. Infinite, yeah. Can't count them. 
God is so good. God's gospel, what He's done for us, to what extent is He fixing our problems? It's, it's, he's fixing the whole thing. He's fixing everything. Is God going to give you a halfway salvation? Is He going to say, I can forgive you of the guilt, but I won't take care of the corruption? I can't set you free from that porn problem or whatever. Is that what he says? I, I just, I'm sorry, I'm just not that powerful. I'm not that good. I, I can't do this. Does that sound like God to you? Boy, I want a louder no. No. That's not God. God does salvation big. I wrote that here. You all agree with that? God does salvation big. He does everything big. Amen? Amen? He does salvation big too. And man's religions are so incredibly cheap. We'll get to that in just a moment. But look at verse 3. The message continues in verse 3. Do you see that? Declares glory among the nations. His wonders among all peoples. And the whole idea, of course, is to declare His glory and His wonders among all peoples. This is what we're to do. We're to just stand out there and say, did you know what God did? Do you know what, you know what God has done? I, I want to tell you what God has done. God delivered us from these enemies. You know, the work of the Red Sea was amazing. It's a picture of how redemption was accomplished for God's people. By the way, always remember, we're going to read the Ten Commandments with the first verse first. I am the Lord thy God who delivered you out of the hand, the, 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 out of the land of bondage, the house, the house of bondage, the land of Egypt. It begins with this great work of redemption. And in the book of Joshua, what, 40 years after the deliverance, a harlot in Jericho said, Do you remember what God did to the Egyptians? And 400 years later, the witch doctors in Philistia are saying, do you remember what God did to Egypt at the height of its power? While God's people are unimpressed. Even the heathen nations saw they knew it. They heard the message. Somebody told them about it. I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, we need to put the whole world on full alert. God did something more than crush Egypt at the height of his power. He crushed Satan. Amen. Does this make any sense to anybody? We, we, we need to tell the witch doctors of Philistia and the harlots over in Jericho what, what Jesus has done. Amen. And we need to tell each other about it too. All the nations must hear about our Lord, our Joshua, our Jesus, our Commander, our Lord. The message we preach to the nations shows up again in verse 10. Say among the heathen, the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. What does this mean? It means that God's 
One, God's in control. There was no contest. Satan, Jesus, ran one. Punch, gone, down. He won, it's over. I love the words of Christ preparing. He says, the enemy of this world, or the prince of this world is coming. Don't you love this? But he has nothing on me. Don't you love it? I mean, this is, they're coming into the ring. This is it. The prince of this world, Satan, the source of all evil, is coming against me, but he has nothing on me. It's just no contest. Why? And here's why. Because I love the Father, and I will obey the will of my Father. And nothing is going to get in the way of that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, our God reigns. This is the message. Make it simple. Brothers and sisters, I think sometimes we have to make it simple. We have to start simple. When you share the gospel, would you please start simple? Always start with the chunky stuff. Not justification as an act of God's free grace wherein the sinner is pardoned of all his sins and accepted in... (laughs) Don't start there. Please, I plead with you. Start with, He won! So you start in the right place. Get your trunk right. We'll get into the branches and leaves later and that will help us. But start with, you know, our God reigns. Jesus won this battle. Start simple on this, my brothers and sisters. I don't know, maybe other people have better brains than I do, but I need to, I got to get this in a simple sense. This helps me a lot. God blessed the Westminster Confession of Faith and all the others, but man, if we don't get the basics down, if we're lost in the leaves, we're in trouble, brothers and sisters. Jesus won. Sin no longer reigns over you. Satan no longer reigns. I know he reigned over this part of the world for 4,000 years, or 5,000 years, or 5,700 years, but no more. No more. Satan reigned. Now Jesus reigns. And he brings all of his enemies under his footstool. And it's not just this theoretical reign. I'm, I know we like to say, yeah, he's over Barack Obama and he's way above the United Nations and Prince Pazimars. Yes. But friends, he overcame your sin. He, he smashed the things that are binding you. He has set you free from sin. He killed sin for you and for me. He ran and grabbed that enemy's sin and held it onto himself, and then he tipped over the cliff and killed it in the process. He he killed sin for us. I I believe just knowing this empowers you. It does for me. As a Christian, you need to know. You need to be certain that sin no longer has a power over you. We are freed from the power of sin in Christ. And reckon yourself now to be dead to sin and alive to righteousness. The doctor is talking to you. You're alive. Can you hear me? Wiggle your spiritual toes for a moment. Wiggle your spiritual hands. 
Awaken to the fact you're alive to God and dead to sin. And now rise up. Get off your gurney. Get out of bed and start walking in newness of life. I, I love the line from our brother. We mentioned that several times in the conference. Keith Green, Jesus is risen from the dead and you can't even get out of bed. Don't you love it? So good. I'm like, yeah. I think I will try to get out of bed. You know, maybe I can't make it to the bathroom. You know? I mean, we're alive. We say we're alive. We're alive. Praise God, we're alive. He killed sin. He killed Satan for us. He smashed his head. And he continues to do that. Even now. Amongst the churches, it's beautiful. I, there's, I was telling the group this weekend, there's nothing more beautiful. Yes, we are surrounded by demons. I sense this church this morning is surrounded by the evil ones. But man alive, he presents a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Are you getting something this morning? Yeah. Are you enjoying the buffet this morning? Yeah. The enemies are going... And we're going, neener, neener, neener. It's really good. so fun. Yes, there's demonic oppression in this church, brother. I know there is. And there is in our church too. But nothing better than snake blood all over the place. Getting a little snake blood on our tennis shoes. Yeah. It feels so good. A little bit of Mark Robinette coming out here, but that's what happens at this pulpit. So brothers and sisters, Jesus killed sin. He killed Satan. He killed death. And it's for us to declare it to the nations. It's very, very simple. He won. And, and what are you going to do with the guy next door who's on drugs and porn? You're going to sit around and go, well, too bad for him. Guys, you need to break into his house. And you need to tell him. Jesus has won. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think? Shouldn't somebody tell him that? Shouldn't the whole world know? Shouldn't the witch doctors of Philistia hear about it? Whether or not they get saved? I think so. Tell the drug addicts, he already won. People crawling around in cow dung, worshiping rats in a Hindu temple, or crawling around in the sewer of pornography and abject bondage to it. Tell them that Jesus Christ has won. He has conquered. He's far above all principalities and powers. Look up and believe in this Savior King. He has won the greatest battle of all time and eternity. The devil's head is smashed. It's over for him. His kingdom is doomed. When Jesus Christ, our Lord, breathed the last words on the cross, it is finished. Man, it was the end of the battle. He won. The Father raised Him from the dead. This is the Gospel. Don't forget the Gospel. Calvary. The resurrection. Behold the work of God. The battles waged and won. Go tell ISIS. I don't... You should, you should bust into the prisons. Our church does. We have guys that are so excited right now. They're running into all the prisons everywhere they can find them. They're telling people, Hey! Jesus Christ has won it. 
Go tell the drug dealers. If a drug dealer was baptized in our church a year and a half ago, it's a beautiful thing. You know, we have, we have people who say, I, I can't disciple my kids. It just takes too much faith. So, so I just don't have this kind of faith. Praise the Lord. This brother in our church is a Hispanic drug dealer. got saved. He's off drugs. He's discipling his kids. His wife is homeschooling. He's doing family worship every day. Guys, this is what Jesus does. He transforms. He renews. He gives us a new heart, a new life. He gives us the power over sin in our lives. And yes, we would walk alongside and we still have the problem of remaining sin and such. But this message is, is there to help you one more time. That's time to realize sin is done for. Sin is dead. Put another heel in the back of sin in your life. Mortify the sinful flesh. You've got the upper hand. And those people say, I just can't overcome this sin. That's not Jesus' talk. That's not our Jesus. I love the story our brother was telling us. People huddled in the city, eating each other, cannibalizing each other in that city up in, near Damascus while they're surrounded by these armies, but the armies are dead. And the lepers are going outside, and the lepers are having a feast while people are still in the city cannibalizing their own families. This is the picture of your neighbors. This is where they are. And you need to tell them, what are you doing this for? The battle's already won. Get out of the city and go and and grab onto all of the, the benefits of Christ's salvation. It's time to divide the spoil. Yeah. It's time to rejoice as those who divide the spoil. It's the rest of the Christian. We're outside of the city and we're dividing the spoil and we're rejoicing. We're having a really good time with it. All right, verses 4 and 5, your conception of the magnitude and gloriousness of God will be the basis for your praise and your worship. Look at it, verses 4 and 5, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. We were out in Nepal two or three months ago in Kathmandu the pastor who was a Buddhist monk saved out of Buddhism. And, and many of the Buddhist monks that are climbing Mount Everest, these guys are the Sherpas, they're getting saved right and left right now. Three more just saved recently, by the way. Just email me. Uh, Jesus is conquering big time in Nepal and Tibet. It's incredible. It's breaking out right now there. But he took us to the largest Buddhist monastery in Kathmandu. And probably the largest in the world. Okay, so this is pretty much central for Buddhism in the world. So you walk in, and there's a huge sign that faces you as you walk in. And you'll never guess what it says. I had to get a video of this. It said, while you are here, try not to murder anybody. 
or committed adultery. <laughs> Boy, if that isn't man's religion, I don't know what is. We tried really hard not to murder anybody while we're there. You see, they, 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 they might have a shot at keeping people from murdering each other and committing adultery for like 10 minutes. But then they go out and... Rah! It's hysterical. It really is hysterical. Guys, the powerlessness of so many world religions, and yes, even that weaky, weaky American religion that can't seem to set anybody free from porn. And the highest pornography download rates in America, Mississippi, the heartland of weaky Christianity, and Utah, the Mormons. And, and of course you knew that. These world religions, these moralistic religions, they have no power. They have no Christ. They have no victory. What does it say? All the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Amen. Just look at the gods of the heathen. Well, most of the time we worship man. You know what man makes? Like this. Man makes this. Wow. Wow. But God made wood. Somebody say hallelujah. Yeah. And God made the galaxies. And man says, yeah, 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 but we make nuclear reactors that can provide power for like 50,000 people for like 20 years without breaking it and then messing up everything. God makes fusion reactors that are built to last 100 trillion years, and he's got a lot of them up there in the sky. <laughs> you know, backups. He's got a huge safety factor. I don't know, what is the safety factor? Somebody know? You know, 100 trillion years for our sun, and we're gonna last about maybe 10 or 20 years maybe 30,000 years max. Just in case, you know, just a little breathing room there. That thing's going to burn for a while, brothers, sisters. And then what's, what if we burn out? Maybe we could borrow another sun, you know, get another planet going. You know, and then there's, what, 60, 100 billion, quadrillion other great fusion reactors in the sky to provide enough energy. And we're like, yeah, but check out my fission reactor over here. I, 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 use, I use atoms. I split them. God, what's, what's God say? Reminds me of a scientist, you know, he said, we figured out how to make man. And they go up to God, up in the sky, and let's do a contest, God. Okay, ready, set, go. They lean down, grab some dirt, and God says, wait, go get your own dirt. <laughs> All the gods of the heathen are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Understand this, my friends. Understand who we're dealing with here. The gods of the heathen are idols. The sports idols. Let's talk about the sports idols for a moment. O.J. Simpson. 
Bruce Jenner, Tiger Woods. Okay, that's enough. He was on the Wheaties box in 1976. The gods of the heathen are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So why would they go to the Super Bowl on Sunday and not worship God? That's an obvious application. We use it all the time as pastors. But you enter into their temples and you hear them talk about things. Have you ever gone into the temples, into the corporations, into the neighborhoods? And they're talking about government, they're talking about money, they're talking about their own accomplishments. They're looking to their gods to save them from health problems and wealth problems, never from sin. All idols underfoot be trod. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. I think that needs to be our cry. And if there's idolatry in your life at all, if there's something tugging on your sleeve, you know, you just you tend to be drawn back into another idol whether it be the glorification of self or whatever it is. And you know, we, we get tugged, don't we? I mean, we all do. Sing that song, all idols underfoot be trod. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Crush them, idols. Destroy them. The God of the state will always fail. They promise to take care of the economy, education, welfare, and dependence on the state everywhere. And state worship is everywhere. But you know what? They're going to be disappointed. We are cruising for a bruising. The state cannot save a single human soul. The state cannot transform one single human heart or sovereignly ordain the will of a single millennial to motivate him to work and thereby salvage the economy. The prime rate will not help us. So this idea that Ooh, the Federal Reserve will adjust the prime rate and save our economy. <laughs> That's really stupid. All right. The gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. You know, it's interesting. I, I was talking to this Buddhist, this Buddhist monk became a Christian, this beautiful man of God, this evangelist in, in Kathmandu. And he, he said, you know what, what happens with the Buddhists? is that occasionally demons are able to do these works. They can levitate people off the ground. And our brother Phil Kaiser has seen this witness, his father has in Africa. So these witch doctors and Buddhists can, can manage to levitate somebody off the ground like five or ten feet. And you know, they do it like, you know, once every hundred years or something, you know, and a number of people witness it and it's all very ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And, and then you get, you know, 100% devotees for the next... 300 years. Listen. Circus tricks. Like levitate 20 feet off the ground? So that's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. Circus tricks. You know, some of you are ooh, that's really scary. No, it's not scary. I mean, come on, step back, guys. People levitate 20 feet off the ground. That's not scary. Our God makes galaxies. 
Okay? Stop being impressed by circus tricks and by the works of the evil one and by the demons. We talk about them too much. Our God makes galaxies. He raises the dead. He doesn't levitate the living. He, he raises the dead. That's powerful. And by the way, if, if our conception of God and the gospel and the transforming work of the gospel is something less than the power of God demonstrated in creating galaxies and raising the dead, I don't want that gospel. Powerful things happen. What distinguishes the true church is we're gathered to watch the works of God. We're waiting to see the power of God transforming lives. That's what we do. And we're not impressed with anything more than that. We're not impressed with rhetoric, not impressed with preaching, not impressed with what people do. We're not impressed with programs. We're not impressed with anything else. We're impressed with the works of God, the power of God, the true and living God, because all of the gods of the heathen are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Let's take a look at the heavens for a moment. I circled the globe for the first time in my life three months ago. And those who say it's a flat earth, it's not. I verified it myself. Got all the way around. I, I flew the whole way, and boy, are my arms tired. As the old saying goes. 45 hours going 600 miles an hour. And it wasn't my arms, my rear end. Because, you know, we did this mission trip all around the world. And I can verify to you that this world is very big, and it wears me out. But it's not just this earth. As, as you may know, if the earth is a golf ball, the sun is 15 feet in diameter. Y'all aware of that? The sun, kids, is bigger than the earth. If the earth, and the earth is not a golf ball. I have verified that. <laughs> it's very big. But if the earth was a golf ball, the sun is 15 feet in diameter. But the sun is not the largest star. One of the largest stars is the star called Betelgeuse. It's not exactly pronounced that way, but that's close enough. I can't. But Betelgeuse, you could fit 652 trillion Earths into this one star. Just one star. And God made that star. Okay, at any point you're thinking, you know, I'm pretty big. No, you're not. The, the earth is bigger than you, and the sun is way bigger than the earth, and Betelgeuse is 652 trillion times larger than the earth. And that Betelgeuse would burn up our whole earth a trillion times over. Okay, so if you're ever wondering, does God have enough firepower to destroy the earth. A trillion times over with one star. Okay, that, that's the power of it. The storm on Jupiter, y'all know the storm on Jupiter, the eye of Jupiter? It's the size of planet Earth. And the storms there 
It's a big old acidic, horrible storm that's blowing at 600 miles an hour and has for like 500 years. And if it came to earth, it would destroy us in like 0.1 seconds. Why does God put a storm on Jupiter? It's cool. He likes to a storm. Just, you know, far enough from away from us where it's not really affecting us, but we can go... Whenever there's a storm, you know, I, I think to myself, winds are blowing up about 60 miles an hour. It's not too bad. He's holding back. All right, but the largest star in the universe, as far as we know, is Canis Majoris. If the Earth was a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest you could get seven quadrillion Earths into Canis Majoris. And you know, that wasn't enough for me. So I thought, OK, if I explored the Earth every square mile, just crisscross the Earth every square mile, you know it would take me 6,000 years to walk the Earth. Isn't that interesting? 6,000 years to explore the Earth. And I thought, you know, we're going to live in eternity someday. And I like to kind of explore some of these far-off regions, you know. Maybe not stars, but, you know, planets as large as these stars. And so I thought, to explore Canis Majoris, it would, it would take 18 quadrillion years. And I would use up 54 quadrillion pairs of tennis shoes. The gods of the heathen are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. That's the conclusion. There is no competition. There is, there is no person, there is no event, there is nothing at the hands of men or any powers, any satanic powers, any principalities and powers that have done anything worthy of our attention compared to our God who is worthy of all of our glory and praise for all of his wondrous works amongst the children of men. Behold our God, stand in awe of him. And brothers and sisters, we need to give him 10,000 times more glory than the unbelievers give their stupid gods who can't talk, they can't answer prayers, and they certainly can't make anything. The gods of the heathen are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Verses 6 through 9 speaks of his character. We'll go a little quicker now. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his, in his sanctuary. That is, God is beautiful. God is powerful and beautiful at the same time. I'm always amazed as I drive out onto the horizon, view the horizon of the Rocky Mountains on an evening, and you see this magnificent sunset across the Rocky Mountains, and you're amazed at the power and the strength as well as the beauty of God. It's amazing how he can bring those two things together. And then he kind of changes, you know, this great work of art across a screen of 40, more like 400 miles. Have any of you done that? Have you, have you done a beautiful landscape on a, on a screen of 400 miles across? Anybody? Anybody? Are artists here? Artists? No, I didn't think so. Well, that's, that's what God does. You know, your screen is a little smaller than God's. 
Um, but then, then here's, what, here's the other thing he does. He, he says, okay, now, wait a minute. I want it different. And so he kind of erases it and redoes something 10 minutes later. And then he does something else 20 minutes later. You know? Have you ever noticed how, how the, that reality is not static? Has anybody noticed that? Yeah. Have you noticed how everything changes all the time? And there's like a different landscape almost every day all over the world. By the way, that's not the only landscape in the world. There are others as well. Three-dimensional landscapes all over the world. And God is worthy of our worship, brothers and sisters. I hope you're catching something of the vision here. And then verses 11 through 13, let's end here. Our praise, our hope, our expectations must be utopian. Look at verses 11 through 13. This is, you know, we, we warn people about being utopian about worldly things and earthly things and man's things. Man's governments, man's... But it's time to be more utopian. We, we are the most utopian of all. We're amazed at what God is going to do. Constantly. Let the heavens rejoice. And let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar. And all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord. For He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness. And the people's with His truth. That is, Jesus is coming to reconcile all things to Himself. Yes, we're dealing with problems, and I understand this. We spend X percentage of our time talking about the problems with my back, and, and problems with the neighbors, and problems with drugs and heroin in Ohio, and, and we talk about the problems with Trump, and the problems with the United Nations, and the problems with Africa, and the problems with... <gasps> But we are those who know that Christ has come to make all things new, everything new. He's restoring all things. He's reconciling all things to Himself. And yes, there's a bit of a down payment in our lives. Any of you ever been set free from a sin? Ever? Ever set free from a sin? Have you ever had a little bit of the love of Jesus in your heart towards brothers and sisters in the church or towards your own wife or husband? Is there any... Is there any down payment of the Holy Spirit here in this room? Yes. Do you think that the whole mission is going to abort? What do you think the odds are? God inspiring the mission, sending His Son, promising a reconciliation of all things to Himself, and then all goes kaput. What do you think? No, no, no. Our hope is in the firm promises of Almighty God. And we've been encouraged already by all that He's doing. By the way, read Mission's history and see what He did in Fiji and what He did uh, in North Korea in 1907 and you know, on and on in the great revivals and such. God is transforming the world already. Amen. This is not the place it was 2,000 years ago. No way, no way, no way. Not even close. And He is coming to reconcile all things to Himself, to redeem the whole thing, and we will live happily ever after. So spare no hyperbole, my brothers and sisters, when it comes to the gloriousness of the work of God. Would you please be more passionate? Mark. Mark is not nearly passionate enough. And neither are you. 
y'all you, you, you agree with that? I started with this. I said, we're just not, we don't see it. We don't get it. We don't praise. It's too rote. Oh, it's the same liturgy we did last week. God forbid you should ever say that. This is big, brothers and sisters. Spare no hyperbole. His goodness is a hundred trillion times more impressive, more outstanding, more praiseworthy, more noticeable than the achievements of the devil. And, and though a thousand Michaels will mock at you in the worship service when you raise your hands a little higher and you dance in the aisles, I don't care. You don't care. Though the Michaels will say he stripped off his coat and his vest will stop right there, Mark. And he was dancing up and down in, in, in true, not the fakey. And again, we're concerned about the fakey, yeah. The, there, there is a fair amount of whipping up the emotion and not being sincere about the, wor the worship of God who is sincerely, seriously big and powerful and good and wise. And, and yes, we can give way to the faking it. But friends, I encourage you with all your heart to bless God. I'm telling you to let the nations rejoice. Let the nations praise Him. Let the galaxies rejoice. Let the seas roar. Let the field be joyful before the Lord. For He is coming to restore all things. He will destroy all evil and all enemies. And He will bring about everlasting goodness and peace and joy forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, O God, we praise You. You are the mighty God. You have brought about a great and powerful creation. All the gods of the heathen, including the false idols of our own lives, are nothing. But You made the heavens. And You brought about the Red Sea redemption. And You brought about the great redemption at Calvary and crushed the head of the serpent. And You set us free from sin. And you took care of the problem of death. Oh, glory be to you, God. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You know, as our brother was preaching, I could picture the angelic beings that God talks about who fly around the throne. You guys remember those guys? One set of wings covering their eyes, another their feet, and they fly around. And night and day they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which is and which was, and which is to come. And I was just thinking, they don't do it for an hour or an hour and a half like we do one day a week, but they do it night and day. And they never stop. And they don't even know about our salvation. The Bible says they look into, they don't even understand it. They want to know. And we know about it and we have a hard time doing it for an hour and a half on a Sunday. Holy, 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 everybody. Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, which is to come. The Almighty.
Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.